What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grindline Podcast. You're listening to episode 249. I am your host, Greg. I am here tonight with Ryan and Tyler in just a giant mess of technical difficulties for absolutely everyone. But we're going to get this done because I released a five-minute major a couple days ago saying we're recording tonight. God damn it, we're recording tonight. We have things to talk about and it's going to be really fun and I'm demanding you have fun. How are you guys doing? Well, other than the fact that the Discord chat has officially gone off the rails uh, in terms of nothing related to hockey, uh, not too bad. And for some reason, I have a screen that's flashing like it's having a seizure. We're going to talk hockey and not as jo- jovial uh, as last week, but it is what it is. It's getting better. We'll be. It'll be better. Don't worry about yeah. it. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing great. Apparently, my team and my school that I cheer for is a bunch of cheaters, so... Uh, that that's great since since I last joined and and spoke with you guys, but um the wings and I'm not allowed to go to Boston anymore for Red Wings games. So no, please stop. No, that. you're cut off. <laughs> I'm going. I already have my tickets for for the uh, the day after the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. Those were like 140 dollars a piece. So uh, yeah, I'm hoping for a win for what their balcons. Yeah, they're nosebleeds. Yeah, of course they are. It's a one o'clock game. It's the the Black Friday game, and everybody's got to bring their wife and their their kids. So every, of course, the tickets go, you know, through the roof, especially in well, Boston. Nobody's working, so that helps. Considering the way they're playing too right now, which again makes absolutely no sense. They lose Bergeron, they lose Krejci, and they're still playing as good, if not better, than they were last year, which is absolutely goaltending, buddy. Goaltending and amazing what good coaching can do for. Teams that you may not suspect are going to... I mean, you still have superstars. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah they still got the Posternox and the McAvoys, which McAvoy, I think, just got suspended for four, four games. Four games. Four games. I still think that was not enough, but it is what nope. it is. Ryan would disagree with you. Ryan was talking to me today. He's like, that was like a bump in the head. I'm like, dude, you're a Bruins fan. Take your bias a out of bump? it. bump? He did a Re- drive-by. He chicken-winged him. He's a repeat offender. No he drove his shoulder directly into his face on purpose away from the play. The play wasn't yeah. even anywhere near him. Uh, it's drove definitely not even close. Definitely three or four games suspension. Maybe more. I, I don't know. It he's gotten been suspended. More. He's gotten suspended for the same thing before. It should have been five or six games because he yep. also did it earlier in the game. The same thing to Carter Verhage. The same move that wasn't called. So until they do something like drop the hammer on him, he's not going to stop. So probably still I mean, not going to stop regardless of the situation. He's one of those Truba kind of players where he plays on the edge and he goes over it a lot of the time. So at least player safety got kind of something right. I mean, that's all you're going to give. They spun the wheel and luckily the wheel landed on a semi-decent punishment. But we have a lot to talk about tonight. So where we're going to start is we're going to start with some housekeeping notes before we move into kind of the bulk. We'll talk a little, about, a little bit about the skid, the bounce back. Uh, against the Islanders stuff in the senators land that's absolutely amazing but the <laughs> housekeeping notes up front uh probably the biggest one is that Carter Mazer has been activated he's currently Yay. playing right now for the Grand Rapids Griffins and he's back so he's off the injured reserve he is over in Grand Rapids he's going to get games in there he's going to get up to speed and then i would assume if he performs well that he is pretty high on the depth chart for recalls during the season. If a, if a recall needs to be made because of injury, I would assume Carter Mazer is going to be relatively high on that list because of what he showed, especially in his very, very limited viewing in Grand Rapids last season. But what he did with the University of Denver, I think he he will he's right there. Like he's right on the edge of being a, a full time NHL player. He just needs to get those reps in that recovery in. Yeah, and there needs to be a spot for him to come up and 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 fill too. That's that's the first and foremost thing. Uh, glad to see he's healthy. Um, hopefully he he can stay healthy and um, you know work his way up for when there is a call up and you know inevitably there is going to be a player that gets hurt. Hopefully it's not on the first or second line. If it's if it's anybody, obviously you don't want any injuries. But if it is, you want it to be on the third or fourth line so that way he can he can kind of work his way up in in that sense. And, you, you know, most people do think that he is anywhere from a second to a fourth liner. So hopefully, you know, he falls in that category. But we've seen fourth liners become first liners um, on, on good teams here in Detroit. So 
Justin Abdelkader, not to mention names, but we, we've seen players like that become first liners. And so obviously that's not where he's projected, but you could see that at some point. Um, just wishing for health for him and, and, you know, hopefully he can take a step forward and help the Griffins because I, the Griffins are off to a, kind of a rough start too. So Carter yeah. Mazur is the kind of player that fourth line or third line minutes aren't going to hurt his development. I think that's the positive there is that you were, you could, you could have said, Oh man, why didn't you just play uh, Nate Danielson instead of Joe Valeno? Nate Danielson would be so much better. Uh, even if you play him on a third or fourth line role. And it's because that's not the kind of player you want them to develop into. As to where Carter Mazur has developed enough as kind of playing against older people, play, not not necessarily men because he was playing in college, but co like the NCAA is a tough league. Like that's a tough league. And coming out of there, he could, I, I think, thrive in a third line role, a checking role, a grinder role, because he's a get under your skin kind of player. And that those limited minutes, if they are limited minutes, uh, aren't going to hurt him at all in his development. I think that's the plus side. Yeah, I think that's where what you mentioned, where if he was on the higher up on the pecking list for a guy to get called up because you're not worried about like with a Danielson wanting him to be in the top six. You're not worried about maybe with a Casper having to slot him into the top six. So you have that flexibility to kind of put him where there could be a need. But right now, unless there's an injury, it's I don't think it's going to happen for a while. Because you've got your bottom six doing bottom six things, whether that's scoring or wreaking havoc. Because right now that fourth line is out there making some noise with Costin now back from after missing a couple games. You have Zarnik and Fisher. They are putting great pressure on. And sometimes they're even transitioning that pressure to the third line. Then you got Volano Raz and um, Sprong coming out. And all, all those guys are flying around the ice, which I think that speaks to what uh, Newsy has been harping on since he came in on day one. You've got players on on those lines that are playing a 200 foot game, but most importantly, they're they're focused on defense, and that defense is then giving them offensive opportunities. So Mazer could fit directly into a role like that. It's just going to be a matter of when rather than if. It's, it'll be fun to watch him. He's a player that we had as a dark horse. Uh, before the season started is one that could possibly make the NHL roster out of camp. And then he got hurt. So he really didn't get that chance. But I think he, like I said, I think he's one that is a first in line or really close to first in line for a call up. Uh, once injuries happen, I think another one that could be high up now is uh, cross. Hannes has looked really good in Grand Rapids. So I think he's another one that is kind of probably towards the top of the recall list. Uh, but the other half of that news is Jonathan Berggren was sent back to Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. And uh, we caught an Ansar Khan flub today. He had tweeted out. It was funny. He's like, uh, Robbie Fabry is back at practice, still expected to miss four more weeks. And then like an hour later tweeted, uh, Reimer, uh, Lalone says, Reimer starting tomorrow versus Florida. Fabry ramping it up in practice this week with hopes of playing next week. And then he went back and deleted the tweet that said Fabry's going to be out for like four more weeks. So it looks like Robbie Fabry uh, should be back in action, hopefully starting next week until his next injury uh, inevitably occurs. But I think it's a good thing to have Robbie Fabry back. Again, it adds yeah. Robbie Fabry when he's in and when he's healthy and he's on, he provides a lot of offense. Now, mm -hmm. does this team need that much more offense? Uh, if you yeah. go to the games against Boston and you go to the game against Winnipeg, yeah, the, the offense kind of fell short there. Um, but I would say that was more of a product of playing a lot of slow, lazy hockey during those games instead of what? picking up the pace. So Fabry does help in that regard. Yeah, when when I feel like from what I noticed um, in person at that Boston game is when Debrinket and when Larkin and when Raymond aren't scoring and the power play is not going, this team's not not doing anything because it feels and it, it changed a little bit in the Islanders game because, you know, you had, um you know, you had some, some depth scoring in that game with Sprong and stuff like that. But like it feels like if a guy like Robbie Fabry can come back into the lineup and, and score even on the fourth line, I mean, that's going to help in terms of depth scoring. And what has been the difference the last couple of years? You haven't had that depth scoring. It's been Larkin. It's been Raymond. At, at times, it was Bertuzzi. Um, where now, it, hopefully, you can have that depth throughout the lineup. And honestly, at this point, like 
I'm glad they won against the Islanders the other night. That was a much needed win. And and mm-hmm. really kind of, they pulled that out of their ass really, if we're being frank about it. But the fact of the matter is, is if you can have some depth scoring, you can win a lot in this, in this league. And honestly, the power play, it was never going to stay at 40% where it was, you know what I mean? Like it was going to have to come back to the mean at some point, but I'll say one thing. I think it's sustainable for them to have a really good power play. I think that at some point you might see Gossis Bear heading the first power play, seeing Cider move back to the second, and then maybe Raymond slides back up to the first unit or something like that. I could see something like that happening. But, I mean, it, it, it's gone dry a little bit, but I feel like if they stick with it, it'll be fine. Yeah, the biggest thing is you got to think that maybe they got tired or even complacent. I mean, there was a heck of a adrenaline rush if you will through those first five six games it was similar i think you could argue to how they started last season i mean you look at the start of last season they went on they had win win and then a couple overtime games and another win so they they looked kind of fairly solid early on but then they hit that wall i mean they through 10 games last season they were five three and two but here's where i think the difference has been for them is they had a 31 goals for and 33 goals against Whereas this season, they're off to a 6-3-1 start, 40 goals for, 31 goals against. What has really helped them to this point is the power play percentage, uh, which they're sitting at, what, fourth now at a paltry 32.4%. So they're only Oh, my God, it's Tampa. so terrible. I know, it's awful, right? But they're, the teams they're sitting behind are teams you expect to be up there on this list, which is New Jersey at one. They're still at a 42% rate, which is just crazy. Um, then you got the Rangers in Tampa and then Detroit. We're sitting just a, a little over a point uh, in percentage wise against ahead of Tampa or Toronto, excuse me. Is this maintainable? No, but it does speak a lot to what we talked about prior to the season. Our play in particular has to be one of the things that we see an improvement upon. And we've already, I think, have been blown away through 10 games already. Now, obviously, that ch- the percentage is probably going to continue to drop a bit, but if they can have an improvement of what we we're shooting for, like 23, 24%, is that what we were trying to hope? Hopefully they were going to be at, I mean, 23, 24% right now would still put them at 10, 11 in the league. And for a team, if you look historically back on wings teams, that's where these playoff level type of rosters that they had put together were at in terms of power play. PK, I still think definitely needs to hunker down a bit, but they have played. they've, played New Jersey, they've played Tampa, uh, Boston, they're, they're kind of confusing. They're only at a 16.5% rate, but they're still high firepower teams. Pittsburgh was mixed in there. I mean, if they can clean up some, I don't want to call it gaffes, but just kind of, they're a little slow to react, it seems like, sometimes on the PK, but it's not the worst. So I, that's I, I, that's still going to be a huge focus for me. I mean, they're, they're te- actually ranked 13th in the league with 81.1% on the PK. So you're not in a terrible spot, but I would like to see that rise a little bit. But with the way power plays are across the league anyways, you've got your top players on the ice for almost two minutes half the time. And it, it's just going to be difficult because so. They take to way too many penalties still. Way too many stupid penalties. I, I know I know people want to blame the refs and, and I'll agree with you, uh, Ryan specifically. Uh the, the refs, you know, they're they they call things that they shouldn't call and then they call th- they don't call things that they should call. It's very inconsistent. I agree with that. Yeah. But I'll say one thing. When you take a penalty, albeit a stupid one, you have to kill it off. You have to kill it off. Especially in a game like Boston where they're down uh what was it, two to one, and then you fucking hook the hook Pasternak instead of Instead of just letting them go in and letting Huso take that shot, you can't like you can't do that, especially yeah. given Pasternak a, a penalty shot, which he's already scored on one this year. You you have to be smarter than that. Um, David Perron taking stupid penalties. That one against the Islanders where they scored on the power play. To I the will team. disagree with the one on the Islanders that was an absolute dive. That he just I agree with you, but he hit him in the midsection, and he, the dude just dove. Olympic I understand, level diving. but you can't just blindly throw your stick. Then that's what he did. He turned around and he just fucking blindly threw his stick. And and as soon as he did that, the guy tripped over it, and that was the penalty. I don't agree with the call. I I agree with you, but you can't put yourself in that situation. You maybe turn around and poke instead of turning around and chopping your stick down 
and and not looking where your stick's going to go. You have to have control of your stick. And Perron has taken some really bad penalties this year. Yeah, I would say his, his some of his have been more costly than others. So I'd, I'd have to go back and see what the scoring rate is, but I feel like half of the penalties he's taken to this point, which I think is he's got eight penalty minutes right now listed. So what, four penalties? I think on two or three of those, they've been scored against. Um, and they've really come at inopportune times and stuff that really could be avoidable. Kind of like there's he's had a, a couple trips that I can think of. Um, and then you get like thinking about the, the, the Petrie hold, I forget who it was against the first couple of that games was against the devils. Yeah. Like just was the first a guy night. cutting the net. There's avoidable things. I mean, it, there's going to be penalties. I, I get it, but just how they're done, I guess it's, it's easier said than done. I mean, it's, it, I actually was surprised because Larkin currently leads the team with 13, but I think that also is because of the fight and something else that Definitely. he did there. But, uh, Certain things need to be cleaned up, and I definitely think the discipline needs to be better. And even Malone has said as much. Some of the players have said as much. I know Perron has as well. But he's a guy that we also know that has historically done these things and taken a heat-of-the-moment penalty, and that ultimately has hurt them. So we're seeing that again. I hope that doesn't continue, but but we'll see. Going back to the power play just real quick, I think that they're trying to do the same thing over and over again. So they, they have two flanks on the first unit. They have Gosses Bear down here. They have Debrinkat on the other side. I feel like they're either trying to feed Debrinkat for a one-timer or Gosses Bear for a one-timer. There's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of shots looking for rebounds. There's not a whole lot of creativity. It's kind of one and done. And I feel like the first couple games when they did have the power play, they were snapping it around. They were using the bumper a little bit, at the, kind of in like the, face-off dot not enough not the face-off dot like the hash marks in the middle there they're yeah. they're you know using that kind of like not to use a boston reference but like what bergeron used to do um they're not doing that anymore they're, I think they're the just, best reference you can make with it is maybe washington the way they use oshi in the bumper exactly, like he looks to shoot more often than pass exactly and that's why i feel like if you use the guy like peron there which he is there right now he's not shooting enough and a guy, a guy like Raymond might be able to be in a better spot to do that. But again, not to get into personnel or anything, but I think that their approach needs to be a little bit more shot focused versus looking for the perfect one timer, which I feel like before they were cycling it around and they were just taking a shot. I, I kind of use the same analogy as like when you're playing NHL and you're trying to get Alex Ovechkin, the one timer, and that's all you're trying to do where like, the Capitals power play works better when you have Backstrom and you have Kuznetsov and you have Oshie and you have Carlson and Ovechkin and those guys and they're working together. And if the Ovechkin one-timer is open, great. If it's not, they have other options. And I feel like the wings need to find that second option, or the, a second or third option. The last couple of games I've seen in the Caps, they've been moving Ovi around a little bit more. And I think they, if I remember I heard correctly, they have a new power play coach or assistant that took over the power play and he's kind of changed things up and they've got a little more motion brought in, but they still use the bumper pretty heavily. And I think to your point with the wings and for a while, they were getting really good with that triangle and off the, off the circle and the guy at the hash. And then whoever was in front of the net was dropping down below the goal line right there. to either move it to the backside or, put, or bring it back up the boards near side. So if, I mean, that right there, I think, helps them a lot to try to move things around. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But either way, I'm still happy with how it looks. Yeah, I think you're right. There was a lot more movement, and they do look maybe a little bit more rigid on the power play now. But the movement seems to still be there. They're able mm-hmm. to cycle. They're able to control the puck. It's just when they're trying to shoot, they're doing the same thing over and over again. And so, like. Yeah. Mo was a big one for me in the game against the Islanders where he had the puck and he held it. And I'm like, Mo, you need to shoot this puck. But every time he elected to pass it, I'm like, if you would just got it on net for someone in front to try to clean up. You may have had better looks there, but he kept electing to pass the puck. Now, eventually, he did get a good uh, backdoor pass to JT Comfer uh, for a beautiful goal. Absolutely beautiful. And Mo, for what it's worth, Mo is on a point per game pace currently, which is fantastic 10 points 10 games great looks mo has slacked defensively so that is he's given up some of the defense for offense and it's it's shown in games like boston it's shown in games like winnipeg you can look at the game charts the mo is below 
uh, average defensively when he is above average offensively. So there is some give and take there. And if you're trying to drive offense, Mo can do it. He's shown he can do it. He's a great setup guy. But you saw him get caught flat-footed on the Casey Sezikis goal where he was gassed. He was on the ice for too long. He was gassed coming back, and he got beat. Now, he did as much as he could to try to drive him wide without taking a penalty, and I agree that Huso should have had that goal, but it is a situation that you can't get yourself caught in. I think, on the contrary, from the Pasternak one, I think, on the contrary, he should have taken Suzekis down because Suzekis is not... He's a fourth-line grinder, and maybe he scores on the penalty shot, but you take him down, you make a, a fourth liner take the penalty shot, and he's probably not going to score on it, right? I mean, yeah, he scored on the breakaway, but you take Or they the could just give him that. a penalty, and then you've got to kill two minutes on a time where you're already having a decently rough time killing penalties. Yeah, for the, for the angle he took in, I don't think you would have got a penalty shot out of that. Well, that's fine. Take the penalty then. I mean, what, like... Nah. No, I, I'd hope that Huso has his pads down and can block off a corner and not let it sneak by his foot. That's what I'm banking on. That was a little in weak that situation. Goal, I feel like it was. I I agree. It, in, a, in an otherwise absolutely lights out performance, that was a weak goal because Huso saved them in that Islanders game for the most part. Yeah, I'll say one other thing that I noticed too in the Boston game, and actually two quick things. First of which, they pinch way too much. The defense does on uh, on all the pairs. They they don't pinch smartly. Not sometimes they do it and it's and it's good. And when it when it works, it works. But there's times where they pinch and they give up a two on one. I think there was like three or four two on ones, three on ones against Boston. You can't do that against good teams if you think you're going to be a playoff team. You I cannot stress to you enough. You cannot give up odd man rushes like that. Well, we we talked about that really since the start of the season. Yep. You look at like Tampa in particular, there was it seemed like nonstop bombardment of odd man rushes going back the other way and breakaways. We saw it with New Jersey, like these teams that have speed, you got to be smarter with. And it also I mean, it, it, it kind of speaks to what we've seen from the wings so far to this point, though, is that they are aggressive offensively and it's paid off for them to this point. Like I said, we've already seen a 10 goal swing in the goals for and against in comparison to this point last year, which is huge. And the record now speaks to it. We've got two guys still top 10 in scoring because of it. I think it's going to be finding that sweet spot. And you're going to, they're going to learn and adjust as the season goes on because it's, you have to, or you're going to, you're going to be treading water pretty quickly. The other thing I was just going to bring up too, and I, I don't know if the numbers match this. I didn't look at this too closely, but it felt like in the Boston game and, and part of the Islanders game, every time I looked up, the third and the fourth line was out there. I don't I don't understand that. I don't know if it's just because of the penalties, you know, things got jumbled up. I don't know if it was just like, okay, this is the matchup we like. We're going to go Zarnik's line against the Barzell line or Zarnik's line against the former the formerly the Bergeron line, now the Zaka line with Marchand and Pasternak. I just I didn't understand that why you wouldn't go one versus one. Um, I know I, I know they have their analytics department and what have you, but it just feels like the third and fourth line is out there. And if you're going to get scoring, I mean, yeah, you have to have depth scoring, but you need to have your first and second lines out there to score goals in this league. Yeah, I mean, time on ice, it doesn't look that nothing really stands out for the Boston game in particular. I mean, Larkin still had over 20. You have, have to bring it at 17. I mean. There's 10 minutes of penalties that Detroit has, so there's a shift in how things would have looked. I mean, he had Joe Valeno was 16 and a half. He had more than Comfort, Raymond, and Perron. That could have been the $18 Molsons that I was buying at TD Garden. God, could have been. <laughs> I think there's $18, and that's without a tip. I thought oh. 13 was bad at LCA. Dude. That's awful. And it's not even the cans. It's the little the little 22-ounce uh, what you call it? The uh, the, the aluminum cup. bottles. Oh, no, plastic cups. cups. Yeah. Jeez. So if you look at the standings right now in the Eastern Conference, the Red Wings are still second in the Atlantic with 13 points. Boston, um, they have 17 points. They have won eight and lost one in overtime. The big difference for Boston is their defense and goaltending. They only have 29 goals for. The Red Wings have 40 goals for. I believe we lead. Uh, yeah, we lead for goals for for our division. Uh, second place in goals for is a tie between 
uh, the Lightning and the Senators with 32. The Bruins have 29 goals for, but they only have 14 goals against. The second lowest goals against is 23, and that is the Florida Panthers. So we have, uh, let's see, the Red Wings have 31 goals against. So that's a difference. We're first, Red Wings- right now, currently sit with one game in hand on LA, but we're first in the league in scoring right now. Yeah, so that's the big difference. Eiserman brought in scoring, and that's good, but Bruins goaltending is apparently still insane, so until something happens there, I don't see anything changing, and their defense has been good. They're not scoring as much, but they're finding other ways to win games. Now, do I think it's sustainable for them? I'm going to say probably not. Something is going to happen eventually. I don't think you're going to get another Vesna season out of both Allmark and Swayman. Could it I'm happen? Not commenting sure. on this. Not going to sure. do it. I'm not it saying it. It could happen, but it, it most likely won't. That's the hope there. Uh, so, what we're going to do really quick is we're going to take a quick break. We have a, a word from a couple sponsors. Then we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the Ottawa Senators situation. We will preview <laughs> the game uh, against the Florida Panthers. And then we're going to probably, I mean, we could cover a couple more things if we have anything to say on the loss and then the rebound against the Islanders. We'll be back in just a second after a word from our sponsor. The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. I mean, the Lions did just lose, so maybe cool it on them, but they're bound to pick it up, right? Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet $5 on the NFL. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. In Connecticut, Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms and responsible gaming resources. You know that the second October is over and November hits, the holiday season gets into full swing. We take down the pumpkins, break out the Mariah Carey, and do a lot of shopping. It may be too early to start decorating for the holidays, but it's never too early to start your holiday shopping. Why not take care of it now before the crowds and packed calendars make shopping a total nightmare, especially when you can get some of the best deals of the season well before Black Friday. You can shop Raycon products right now and save up to 50% because their early Black Friday sale is going on now. You've heard me talk about Raycon products before, how their audio products provide great sound quality and battery life, and that they're moving into the home space with things like air purifiers and water purifiers. But Raycon first made a name for themselves in the audio space with products like their everyday earbuds, known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features like 32-hour battery life and a perfect in-ear fit for all-day wear and lasting comfort. And this past year, they expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon Power Tech. Their faucet filter ultra filters the water in your tap against chlorine and heavy metals. It's a must-have for ensuring the water you use to wash your face and brush your teeth is, you know, actually clean. Raycon is known for delivering high quality and thoughtful features at half the price of other premium tech brands. It's no wonder their products have racked up tens of thousands of five-star reviews. To get everyone in the holiday shopping spirit a bit early, Raycon is currently offering 20% off everything on their site with select products up to 50% off. So beat the crowds and save now. Trust me, you do not want to miss out on Raycon's early Black Friday sale. Hurry now to buyraycon.com slash THPN to get 20 to 50% off site-wide. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN to score up to 50% off Raycon products. Buyraycon.com slash THPN. And we're back, and we are going to talk a little bit about the win against the New York Islanders that ultimately got us off of the three-game skid. And I think the first thing I wanted to bring up about it was just give some huge praise to JT Comfer for being an absolute stud in this game. He was the only Red Wing on the team who had above average production in both offense and defense. All of his bars were blue. If you look at hockey stat cards, uh, all his bars were in the positive. He was the best player that game, followed by Mo Sider and Jake Wallman, who really picked it up against the Islanders. Like I said, I thought the defense kind of fell behind a little bit against the Jets and against the Bruins. Not so much against the Kraken, 
Um, that's that is one game where the penalties absolutely pissed me off. The stick throw yeah. and everything. It was absolutely insane. But the Islanders game where they were able to pull it out four to three in overtime. Uh, again, huge shout to Lucas Raymond with an absolute beauty in overtime with JT Comper. It was a good game. Now, it was a bad game from Ben Sherratt and Jeff Petrie. It was an objectively bad game from Dylan Larkin and Alex Dabrinkit. But this is where your depth comes in and your depth mm-hmm. is able to take over a game and win for you. The guys, when you when you have off games in Larkin and you have off games in Dabrinkit, like you will, it's an 82-game season. When that happens, but guys like JT Comfort can pick it up, guys like Andrew Kopp and David Perron, that second line of Kopp, uh, Comfort and Perron was great. That whole game was great. Besides the penalty that we talked about earlier from Perron was awesome. And that's what you needed. You need, they bumped. We, we had noticed and we had been talking about on Twitter that the Rasmussen and Kopp and, per, and Comfort line was not working. It just wasn't, it wasn't providing offense. It was providing defense, but it wasn't providing offense. And just swapping those two. Now, I might have swapped Daniel Sprong there. But just swapping those two and putting Perron on that line seemed to really spark it. And it worked out really well. Yeah, you you can't ask for much more in terms of depth scoring and support. And it's one that we've been harping on is that that this team finally has that. And yes, there were the three-game skid where no one was really getting anything accomplished for that matter. And the fact that they were down two to nothing and managed to bring it back even i think speaks like no other i mean they actually took the lead back i should say so they're down two nothing um right two two one two then they score three goals in a row go up one but then of course the prawn penalty then they finally get they got a power play goal shortly after that but i think what's important is again they got a point out of it on the road against a A potential playoff team so that and against probably one of the best goalies in hockey again. So Sorokin, he played absolutely out of his mind. I think you could argue maybe that the Sprong goal that kind of sparked it for Detroit was soft, but it was also a great play because you went back against it the was Rainers. finesse, Ryan. That was a finesse, finesse We're gonna goal. go finesse on that one. I'll, I'll take it. He toe dragged the hell out of that. He did, and it, it was the way that he came back across the middle. Kind of reminded me of the Hughes goal against Detroit. And what yep. he actually tries to abuse more often than not is cut hard to the middle of the ice and go back the opposite way that the goalie was going. But he, but Sprong was coming the opposite way of what uh, Hughes will typically do. He's actually coming off the weak side instead of the strong side there. But that's what you, you like to see and are hoping to see, especially from a guy like Sprong, because we know that he's not afraid to shoot. We, but that type of goal shows the skill level that can be there from him. and. On it, the way that Detroit's built out, that's going to be vital as long as he stays healthy. That's a, always that caveat piece to it. But then you got Wallman. He he made another impact. Like he had an assist on that goal. Then he comes back and scores two minutes later. Then you've got Comfer, as you just you touched on a little bit ago, the great backdoor pass from Cider. And it was fantastic because Comfer made a play on the on the far side and then skated around in the neck, the net, completely ob- oblivious to the Islanders' defense. And Sider just split up the seam, which we've seen him do, I don't know how many times already in his short career. So it's that it's stuff like that that is going to be important now. Would we have liked to see them stop the power play? Yes. But again, they got a point. They were super aggressive in the overtime. It was nice that they weren't facing a team that's like Seattle, where they kind of yeah. take it out of the zone every 10 seconds. But like the Raymond goal, for instance, him and Confer made fantastic plays. Confer rings one off the crossbar, and then they chase the puck down. Did Mo get a piece of that puck going backwards to spring him going within the zone, or did it go off the Islander player's stick? You talking about the overtime goal? Yeah, when he pinched at the blue line. Mo got it. It was I think it was Mo to uh, Raymond to Confer back to Raymond. Yeah, so he, Mo didn't get the assist, but the pressure he put on the Islanders player at the blue line. Help let Raymond retrieve it. Ended up being more or less a two on o two yep. mile two on one. Yep. And I love what Raymond did in this sequence. Like they set it up the exact same way. What 10, 15 seconds prior, where Confer ring one off the crossbar, we passed it across the slot to the uh, the opposite circle. But what was great for Raymond is that he kept doing the whole piece of going to the net, 
which we've yep. seen, I think, a lot from Wings players is they are driving the net hard this year, but in a good way. They're not just bulldozing their way to the goalie to try to make something crazy happen. He'd made the pass, got back up on his horse, and hit that for a quick tap in on the back door, and it was fantastic. And like it's, it's, it's simple, but so effective in what you want to see from like, especially a guy like like Raymond. Yeah, I think the big takeaway was battling through adversity. Mm -hmm. Where in last season, even more so in the season before, if they were down two to nothing, they'd roll over. They'd be done. Uh, you're and especially after coming off three losses in a row, like a tough a loss against Seattle, two brutal losses against the Jets and the Bruins. You, they'd come out flat. They'd play flat. If they went down a couple goals, they would just coast the rest of the game. Be over. They fought back. That's the thing. They fought back and they wanted that. And, and like you said, JT Comfer. He he channeled his inner Alex to bring it on that goal there, was able to sneakily find some open ice where no one was and no one was paying attention. He like tiptoed to that line right there so no one heard him. And he snuck that puck like wide open net, got that puck right in. It was beautiful to watch. But it's games like that, like you said, on the road against a playoff team that if you're able to battle back like that, that's a team that has fight. Again, another was at the game where there was another Christian Fisher flying tackle. That was absolutely amazing because it got chippy in the third there. And Christian Fisher yeah. takes no shit from anyone and he will knock you on your ass. Same thing with Clem Costin. And I think it was another one where I tweeted out like Christian Fisher, king of the flying tackle, does another one. And it was phenomenal. And it got it got heavy. And I think that sparks them. I think that gives them a little bit more energy to keep going, knowing that guys are going to go out there and sacrifice themselves for a win. And they were able mm -hmm. to pull out that win. And, I, and overtime was spectacular. Like, like you said, the, the Raymond goal was absolutely spectacular. Wide open net. If you would have missed that, like you're fired from the team. But it was, a, it was an amazing goal. It was fantastic. <laughs> and to your point, too, sorry, Tyler, just one quick thing I want to mention. So Seattle, we saw, we didn't see, they still got Grubauer out there. We saw Decor, or Decor, however you say it. We just faced the gauntlet with Winnipeg. They had Hellebuck out there, who is, found his form all over again after a bit of a rough start. And then we ended up having to face, I don't want to miss. It was Swayman. Yeah, Swayman was in net, who, again, for all intents and purposes, is one of the top goalies in hockey right now. And then we come out against the Islanders, and you have to face Sorokin. You face three of the best goalies in all of hockey in, in consecutive games. And two of those you kind of laid, laid an egg on. But that game against the Isles, I think, spoke volumes, like you said, Greg, to the way they battled back and showed us some grit and determination to, hey, we can't let this happen again. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything you guys have said uh, in terms of, of them battling back and and them. I mean, I was I literally at 2 nothing. I went and I took a shower. And um, I I just put it on the radio, so I, I was listening to Kayser and uh, is it Bob Woods, Paul Woods, Paul Woods and Bob Kayser. Yeah, I was listening to them, and and I heard Sprong scores, and then Wallman a minute later, or, um, yeah, like a minute later, and then Confer. I'm like, oh my god, it's three two. So I got out of the shower, ran back out, and then Horvat scores on the power play. I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. But then resilient as they are, they come back and they win the game. So um, is it the recipe that you want to get into every single night? Absolutely not. Because a lot of that game looked similar to the Boston game, looked similar to the uh, the game uh, before that, the Winnipeg game, where they, they weren't really interested for about a period and a half, and then they kind of got going. Um, but... It was good to see them battle back, for sure. I, I, I agree with that 100%. I'll say one thing. They need to start putting themselves in these holes. They really need to stop putting themselves in these holes. 2 nothing against Boston. Uh, what was it? 2 nothing against Winnipeg, too. And then 2 nothing against the Islanders. Like, you just... This is not a league where you can just come from behind every single night. It's not. It doesn't work like that. They don't have the firepower to do that. Yes, Debrinket, yes, Larkin, and, and Raymond is a really good first line. But is it a McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landis Cog first line? And I know Landis Cog's hurt, but you get the point. Is it that kind of firepower? No, they don't have that. So you can't you can't live fighting fighting back like that. However, it is a good characteristic to be able to have. It, it it's good that when you get down two three nothing, you're still willing to fight. You're still willing to lay the body out there. You're still willing to uh, 
to try and come back and win the game. And, and lucky for them, they were able to do it. Now let's see how they can build on it. So we're going to uh, take a minute. We've got a little bit of time left. We're going to take a minute to uh, do a little sense corner here, which I am now calling uh, unparalleled sadness. That is my uh, title for this segment. It is unparalleled sadness. And in quotations, we have we're a team because that is the best quote that Pierre Dorian has given us during his uh, tenure as the Ottawa Senators general manager, which is no longer. So Pierre Dorian was fired today um, and a kind of shocking revelation, not so shocking, I guess, that the Senators have to forfeit a first round draft pick due to the choose. Uh, that I sorry, don't know. That's so, what you're saying. I'm sorry. Yeah. So after the draft lottery, they can choose whether it's this year's, uh, the 2020, uh, next year, sorry, the draft this year is already done. The 2024 draft, the 2025 draft, or the 2026 draft, they can choose which one they forfeit, but they forfeit this pick due to the Evgeny Dadanoff trade. So what ended up happening, a lot of people are like, what even happened in the Evgeny Dadanoff trade? And I'm going to let you guys know. In March of 2022, and I'm reading this verbatim from an ESPN article by Greg Wyshynski. The Golden Knights traded Dadanoff to the Ducks, along with a conditional second-round pick for John Moore in the contract of Ryan Kessler. But hours after the trade was announced, Vegas said that it had become aware of an issue with respect to the trade and was consulting with the league office about it. So the Golden Knights had received Dadanoff from Ottawa previously in a trade. That is how he got there. The issue surrounded Dadanov's limited no-trade clause in his contract, which he signed in October of 2020 with the Sens. The clause indicated that Dadanov could not be traded without first submitting a 10-team no-trade list. The Ducks were on a previously submitted no-trade list to Ottawa, but when the Golden Knights traded for Dadanov in 2021, there was no mention of the trade protection on the call with the Senators in the NHL. Therefore, it was not acknowledged when Vegas completed the trade with Anaheim. So basically, the Sens traded Dadanov to the Golden Knights, and when asked, like, hey, if no trade clause, they're like, no, he doesn't have a no trade clause. So they're like, okay. And then they tried to trade him to Anaheim, and they're like, he has no trade to Anaheim. And they're, they were completely bamboozled. And therefore, the Senators forfeit a first-round pick. Pierre Dorian is fired. Andalauer's house is on fire. He, he, his quote from today, which everyone loved, and I'm like, this is the most ridiculous quote I've ever seen. He's quoted saying, why I inherited this is beyond me. And the answer is because you bought the fucking team. When you buy a used car, any now, there, problems there it has is your problem. No, okay, so the context was, when he was buying the team, he had apparently w- was made aware of what was going on. Like, there was a couple, like the Pinto thing, I think he was made aware of that there was an investigation happening. And this, he was aware of that there was a 73-page report or something and that they were making a decision. But apparently previous ownership told him it wasn't a big deal. Now, if I'm making like a billion-dollar purchase or whatever it is, and previous ownership, the people I'm buying something from, tells me it's not a big deal. I'm going to go to the source that's doing the investigation in the report and say, hey, is this a big deal? I'm not going to take the word of the people who are trying to sell me something. If you like, again, if you're buying a car and you drive it around and you notice a little knock and you go, is this a big deal? And they go, no, don't worry about it. I'm not going to say, "Okay," and then just go ahead with the purchase. I'm going to do a little bit more investigation. So I think blame falls on Andalauer for how he for just kind of being oblivious and not doing 100% of his research. Blame 100% falls on Pierre Dorian for being a fucking idiot and getting himself fired now. Do I give maybe like 0.2% of the blame to the Vegas Golden Knights for not checking cat friendly? Sure, because that information is like widely available on the internet to everyone. Um, But the unparalleled sadness continues in Ottawa and it's just it's been a, a real big roller coaster with the Pinto suspension and the Dorian firing and just the press conference today. Um, but it's great to see the Ottawa Senators fan base just absolutely in shambles now after they talk so much shit to us. I mean, I don't blame him for saying, and I'm going to go back to the quote of why I inherited it. Like, what, what, why did it take so long for the NHL to get to it? I mean, it, it's kind of a rhetorical question because we see how they handle things in general. But it's not like this was an unknown for an investigation to have, that needed to take place. Like 
you could have been like, hey, you're losing your first round pick next year. Or in two years, like you could have just been like, boom, you screwed this up because you're an idiot. And it could have been already handled and over with. Maybe Dorian would, would have been fired back at that point. Doubt it. But because Melenic, but, but we're now to this I'm point. I'm sorry, because of who? Melnick, Melenic. Mel- Eugene Melnick, RIP. Person that is no longer with us, unfortunately. It's it's almost like he was waiting for a reason to jettison Dorian at this point, the new owner. And the Pinto, you can say what you want there in terms of what he did or didn't do. Like it was just a, a weird situation. It kind of reminds me of the Jameson Williams thing with with the Lions. Um, but this one, it's funny that this is the straw that he had he finally had to break to make things happen. Like of all things, that was losing a first round pick, even though you're gonna get one from Detroit and or Boston or and or Boston over the next two seasons as an extra one, like it doesn't make a lot of sense why that was the move to 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 happen. Maybe it's because they're in salary cap hell. Maybe that could be part of it. And this was another reason, like, hey, you you continue to put us in a shitty situation. So I don't want to deal with this much longer. I don't know. One of the quotes I think I saw was like when he was talking to Dorian, he basically said, the least you could do is lose your job. That's like the least you could do. You could do so much more because you made us forfeit. Now, again, if the Sens are awful because they've already got injuries piling up, they've already gone on, like we did a three-game skid, they went on one of those, and it's just things aren't working the way, I mean, again, unparalleled success has gone off the rails again. Surprise. But I think that if you look at it and you say, man, we're going to lose a first round pick and they've got our pick. If we choose to give it to them for this season, or they've got a for their first next season and the season after, if they still suck, those are going to be good picks and they're going to have to give one up. And if Mm -hmm. I'm Detroit and I look at the senators and look at where they're going, look at their garbage prospect pool, I'm going, you know, what? we're going to push that pick to next season uh, or you go, no, we're going to give you this Boston pick. If Boston continues to be amazing, we're going to give you this Boston pick that's in like the late 20s. You can have this one. And then if you're still trash next season, you're going to have to give up a potential lottery pick. Like this just gets fun. The more you think about it, the funnier it gets. Just that they put themselves mm-hmm. in a situation for this to happen. And then they're mad about it. Like, like you, you did this to yourself. So that's what's happening in Sensland. Does anyone else have anything to add to it? I just think it's funny. That's why I just what a dumpster fire. That's all I have to say. You almost want to feel bad, but at the same time, you don't because so many of their fans turning complete dirt bags. Yep. After two regular season games, and they've piped down quite a bit since we beat them. Oh, they they've shut they've shut up, and they apparently don't like uh, the jokes about us. Um, ending their season or getting their GM fired because we are so them. mad. It's so they, they didn't like the dramatic irony that was brought forth at that point either. Nope. So uh, now we're going to move on to the last subject of the night, which is the game against Florida Panthers coming up. So Jay fresh. Thank you to Jay fresh. Shout out to him. You can go sub to his Patreon for a bunch of cool stat sheets and stuff. There is a new uh, team matchup sheet. There's like three of them. That kind of ranks the teams, which you can use to go kind of preview what's happening. So we're going to preview the Red Wings versus the Panthers using kind of their rankings. So the first one I'm going to throw up is the Red Wings versus Panthers and kind of their ranks for goals for and goals against. Uh, So 5v5 goals for the Red Wings rank 5 currently, where the Panthers rank 20. The 5v5 expected goals for for the Red Wings are like they should rank 22nd, but they don't. They rank 5th. Uh, the Florida is ranked 23rd. 5v5 Corsi 4, though, the Red Wings are ranked 23rd, which means we're lower on the spectrum of controlling the puck uh, on 5-on-5. Five five. We have less, we control the puck less than a lot of other teams do at 5-on-5. Five five, as to where the Florida Panthers 5v5 Corsi 4 ranks 6th. So what I kind of gather from that is that I feel like the Florida, based on this, at 5-on-5, the Florida Panthers will probably control the puck more than the Red Wings based on where they currently lay. Uh, For power play goals, the Red Wings rank 5th. as where the Panthers rank 22nd. Like we said, we've got a really good power play. And if that keeps up, it's a good sign because their power play is apparently pretty bad. 
And uh, finishing, this is putting the puck in the net. Of course, we rank second. And the Florida Panthers right now are in 28th in the league for finishing, which is putting the puck in the net, things you should be doing. For goals against, it's kind of the opposite. So the Florida Panthers uh, are ranked sixth for 5v5 goals against. They rank fifth for expected 5v5 goals against, meaning they have a good defense, good goaltending. And they rank ninth for 5v5 Corsi against. The Red Wings are 15, 23, and 22. So if you look at it from an offensive perspective, we should beat the Panthers. Uh, we just have to tighten up our defense, which we've already talked about. If you look at, I think the games against Winnipeg and Boston brought these numbers down. And we have the ability to bring them back up. But offensively, we should beat the Florida Panthers, especially with how they've been performing this season so far. Granted, they still have some studs that are not hurt, but you, you have Sam Bennett that's out. He's kind of a shit disturber up there offensively, but he can bring it. Aaron Ekblad and Brandon Montour in the back end are great drivers of offense, especially Ekblad. And not having them, I think, kind of speaks to some of these stats that you just kind of talked through. But defensively, they're still fairly sound. And I've seen Bob is kind of up to his old ways of pissing teams off and making stops that you wouldn't expect him to make. So it really depends on how things shake out for tomorrow. Let's see who we got. Bob or Stolarz. Bob's played seven. Stolarz has played one. So you got to think that Bobrovsky is going to be in net, which is always terrifying when he plays Detroit because I feel like he always plays this extremely well. And I'm all looking forward to that. But, I mean, as a whole, though, they're averaging only 2.88 goals a game, which puts the Panthers at... Where they are tenth in, in goals against in the league right now, with only twenty three allowed over eight games, two point eight eight goals a game against, and two point seven five goals for per game right now. So they're not scoring, but they're also not letting in a lot either. So it's hopefully we can kind of abuse them because their power play is only at ten percent and their PK is at a seventy one percent. So maybe we can kind of take advantage of that power play or the the weak PK for them and get get a little boost from our power play again, that might be huge. That could end up being what dictates or decides this game. Yeah, it gives me vibes of of a game where, uh, you know, the, the wings, if they can score on the power play, you know, get up 2 nothing, get the crowd into it, go up 3 nothing, and kind of sail on home. Um, the Panthers, I don't think, are the team they were last year, although I know they were in a tough situation at the beginning of the season last year. And got all the way to the Stanley Cup final, so you just never know. Um, they do have some good players, but you know they did lose Declare. They did lose some players like that, so not not exactly the same team, but but still a pretty good team and uh, definitely a team that will get Detroit full attention. Um, and it will be a game of special teams, I think. I mean, it will be a situation where um, the Wings' power play is going to need to be well, be good. But then also five on five, you know, you're going to have to shut down guys like Barkoff and guys like Verhage. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think the Wings can win. I I, I think that you said Reimer's going to be in net, right? Reimer is uh, confirmed for in net against the Panthers. Yes. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from that game against, uh, what was it, Winnipeg that he played last? He hasn't played since Winnipeg. So so he's Huso played back to back against Boston and against the Islanders, and and now you're going to get Reimer again. So, which I mean, it's not a bad thing. Reimer has, I think, overall had a pretty good run in a few the couple games he's been in there. So it's um, I struggle a little bit for his last game to say that he didn't look good. I don't know. We'll see. I I, I feel with the way Florida's struggling to score, it could be a good bounce back game for him. Yeah, so you'll see a couple other uh, charts pop up on the screen. If you look, the Red Wings do uh, beat. I mean, in a side-by-side comparison, the Red Wings rank higher in offense than Florida. That's a given. And you can see in this one that the Red Wings do uh, lose to Florida in the defense and goaltending department. Besides goals saved, um, expected goals saved above average. And uh, PK at goals against, uh, we do rank higher than them in both of those categories so if we can tighten up again the defense and shoot the same offensively we should be able to beat the florida panthers that gives us another uh or would give us another win against a divisional opponent which is what we need beat those divisional opponents make them lose games in the division and get those points up that is super duper helpful 
So if you can do that against the Panthers, I need a strong first period. That is where the Red Wings have fallen down recently, where they got back mm-hmm. to their habits of last season with coming out of the gate slow. They need to come out on fire and then finish the game consistently. And I think those are the keys to winning against the Panthers. Is just come out, get pucks on net from minute one instead of waiting until minute 15 to start shooting. Do it from the get-go. You'll, you'll be absolutely fine, I think, against the Panthers. Um, but I want to get you guys' final thoughts before we sign off, and I'm going to start with Tyler. Yeah, final thoughts are, I mean, the season has gotten off to a good start. They cooled off, and then, you know, a good win uh, against the Islanders. Hopefully they can they can build on that against Florida and then Saturday night against Boston. Um, two sneaky important games coming up, two two teams that are in the same division as you, one one of which that you're probably going to battle for a playoff spot in the Florida Panthers. So, the, you know, the head-to-head is important. And then also, you know, Boston, who you kind of just got your ass kicked, uh, last Saturday night again. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do against the Bruins and the Panthers. Um, but yeah, my final thoughts are just they, they need to they need to get out of these two games, get at least three points. See if you can you can eke one out against Boston and then beat Florida. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at SealDog91. Yeah, absolutely. I'll uh, I'll, I'll touch on the piece that you're getting to, Greg, in the, in the scoring. The only period we really are struggling is that first, and we're only being outscored by one, even though it does actually kind of seem way worse than that. It's eight to seven that we're being outscored by. But then you go to the second, it's 15 to nine. Us third is 17 to 13. So it's a mixed bag, I guess you could say, of what needs to happen. But you mean you look at the first period, two shots by period, Detroit 96, opponent 100. So if we can turn that around, I think tomorrow night or tonight, if this is getting posted, um, it'll go a long way. And like I said, I think the power play or special teams in general against Florida are going to be pretty important because if you got a team that's struggling the way they are, not to say that they're doing awful, but they don't have the same, oomph, if you will, with some of the guys they've got injured, especially on the back end, we, you need to take advantage of that type of situation. And if they can do that and Reimer has a solid game and solid, we look solid defensively, there's no reason we shouldn't come out with a simple two points. And I think over time, you don't obviously want you want to avoid that at all costs, especially with the the divisional game. But as long as they're coming away with two, you can't be too upset. And it's going to be I think what's nice with how things have looked to this point. Yes, they had a three game skid. But the way they got themselves out of it with that win over the aisles, hopefully that starts them back on a couple. Like as long as they can limit these skids throughout the year, keep it to two to three games max but then go on a, a, a binge of four games in a row of a win and then one or two losses, then four more wins. That's where you're going to start seeing this team trying to cement them themselves in that playoff conversation. And it's going to go a long way. But if they have mo- anything more than three, if you're looking at four or five losses in a row, we're going to be having probably much different conversations about where this team could go. And we could end up having it where the trade deadline becomes a very interesting one for Steve Eisenman again. and that. This isn't the team that he thought they would be. So got a long way to go to that. But I mean, up to this point through 10 games, you can't really be too upset with what you've seen as a whole from this Red Wings roster. I would like to see Huso's save percentage go up, though. He's still hovering right around 900. And I think that needs to be 905 to 91 to really start, I think, helping the roster, the team a little bit. But teach their own. Other than that, already around 33. Yeah, we haven't even uh, begun to talk about Shane Goss' bear, but that's a conversation for another night. Uh, you can follow me online at Bring the Week. Follow Grindline Podcast online at Grindline Pod. We're going to have some cool stuff coming up from questionable tees uh, here a little bit in the future. So uh, take a look out for that. Um, just we'll keep you posted with some stuff we're going to have going on with them. It'll be really cool. Uh, but you can also follow us uh, at the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet on Twitter. We thank them for hosting us and spreading us around. Big shout out to Vintage Detroit, which is the only place you get your Detroit jerseys from and worked on. If you use code GRINDLINE on Bring Hockey Back, you'll get 12% off of your purchase. Uh, you can also check out our merch on redbubble.com by searching the Grindline and go sub to our YouTube. Go to youtube.com, search the Grindline. We are there. I put up five minute majors. I put up videos. I'm putting up five minute majors now on podcast platforms. So you'll be able to download them there too. Little just quick five minute like uh, audio files and videos you can watch. 
uh, wherever you like, need a break from work, you're on lunch, whatever. It'll be short updates whenever things happen during the week and we're not recording. Um, but that is going to do it for us tonight. So for Ryan and Tyler, I am Greg. You stay classy, Hockey Town.